Well, good morning and happy Resurrection Day to all of you. It's good to see you guys here. You know, in the first century, as the church was just beginning, it was a dangerous thing to be a follower of Christ. And so what would take place is as they would approach one another, if they would see someone and they would wonder if they too were a follower of Christ, excuse me while I get my glasses on so I can see, they would greet one another and say, He is risen. And if they responded and say, what are you talking about? They would know that's not a follower of Christ. But if they would respond and say, he is risen indeed, they would know that now they had this common bond, that this too was a person who believed and had faith that Jesus was alive. And so I thought it would be kind of a neat thing to continue that tradition here this morning. I'm going to say he is risen, and then you'll respond with he is risen indeed, okay? Don't be so excited, okay? (laughs) He is risen That was okay, but I have a feeling they were a little more energetic than that. Let's try it again. He is risen. risen All right, that's great, wonderful, and that's indeed why we are here this morning, to acknowledge that Jesus is indeed alive. I mean, this is why we are here. This is what this morning is about. You know, you might be here and wondering, oh my gosh, what are they shouting out here at each other? You know, what's going on? Is this like a Rocky Horror Picture Show event or something like that? I am not sure what to expect. Why are we here in this park early in the morning? What is the point of all this? And the point is that there was a man who died and rose again from the dead. It's kind of a big deal. It's not something that happens that often. I don't know if anyone, it's not like, you know, hey, remember Ethel? She died last week? Yeah, she's back. And she looks a lot better, you know? I mean, this isn't something that takes place on a regular basis. And so we have this time where we not only acknowledge the event, but we acknowledge what the event signifies because. What the resurrection of Jesus did was set into motion a change that God had for all humanity. That there was now hope that was greater than the grave. Paul talked about this in Corinthians chapter 15, how death was the last enemy, that we could not get past death. It was this luminous darkness that was there And there was no way to get past it. And Jesus came and changed everything. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, is just how he indeed has changed those things. And the wind is picking up. But we don't want to reduce this event into just an idea, just a concept. I don't want what took place to be just a holiday, just a tradition. I don't want something that was overwhelmingly supernatural to become ordinary. And it's so easy for those things to take place. We get used to this. I remember my first Easter service. It was at the Hollywood Bowl. It was a sunrise service, and the sun did not rise It was freezing cold, and the guy spoke in Latin, and I had no idea what it was about. And it was like, if this is Easter, I'll choose the chocolate bunny, because I'm not into this, but I can appreciate the chocolate. 
And I don't want the event of all humanity to be reduced to something that has no meaning. And so what I want to do this morning is look at a couple of situations that took place back to the very first Easter. You know, you may have had some great Easter's in your past, some times where maybe you were really touched, but I guarantee you there were some Easter's that were really, really special. And so turn with me to John chapter 20, if you have your Bible with you. And we're going to look at Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary was a follower of Jesus. We, we don't have a whole lot of information about her. We know that she was demonized and had some kind of demonic activity taking place in her lives, and then she became a follower of Jesus. Some people say that she was a prostitute, but there's not really any scripture giving validity to that. But we know that she wasn't, I mean, demonization is enough. You don't have to throw the prostitution in there. She, she was in a bad way when she became a follower of Jesus. And these were the kinds of people that he attracted. You know, not, not who you would normally pick to be one of your chosen few. Yeah, take the demon lady. Yeah, she's entertaining. Her head spins around. You know, green stuff comes out. I mean, let's, let's, she'll attract a crowd. This isn't what they would want to be associated with, but these were the people who Jesus drew, those who were very broken those who had a lot of issues, those who brought with them a lot of baggage. And, and so here is this woman who is a follower of Jesus, has now been brought into this understanding that God cares and loves her. And she sees Jesus crucified and died. And we're going to pick up at verse 10 in chapter 20. And, and this is after they have found out that he is not in the tomb. The disciples come running in. Peter runs in the tomb. John runs and peeks in, and they find out that Jesus isn't there. And in verse 10, we see that Mary stays and hangs out a little bit longer. And then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not re realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Now, it's curious. Why are you crying? That's not usually a good question to ask at a gravesite. It's kind of an obvious thing, you know. Why are you crying? Um, duh. You know, it's like, what do you think? And we don't like to be approached sometimes in those moments of brokenness, especially if we're guys. Have you, have you ever had someone walk in on you when you're in one of those kind of broken moments? And they ask, hey, what's up? And you're like, oh, nothing, nothing. I'm okay. The oatmeal was just really spicy. You know, I couldn't. You don't want to cover up that just I'm, I'm broken inside. And what I find curious is that Jesus doesn't come out and say, Mary, ta-da, it's me. He inquires into her brokenness. And he says, what's going on in you? 
Why are you crying? And I think it's telling because I think that Jesus isn't here to just present himself. He's here to inquire in each of us. Why are you crying? What's going on within you? Did he know? Of course he knew. But he cared and he wanted to get to the heart of the matter. This isn't about just putting on a religious presentation. This is about getting to the depths of what is taking place within you. That, that hurt that you feel, that brokenness that you feel, that weeping that is there within you. Jesus is asking, why? Why are you crying? And the reason he's asking why is because he wants to bring healing. He wants to answer that question. He wants to address that issue. He wants to present himself in the heart of where you are broken, in the heart of the area where you are struggling, in the the midst of that darkness. He wants to show up because he is the one who can bring light. He is the one who can bring healing. He is the one who can take care of you and me in that deep, broken place and so as he inquires of mary why are you crying he asks another question of her and he says and who is it you're looking for and i love that who do you seek because once we get to the heart of what's going on and what's broken it's what what are you looking for who are you looking for what are you trying to find And so many times, I don't think we know. I don't think Mary understood exactly what was going on. She was in despair, not only because she had seen Jesus die, and people who die do not come back to life, but now, to add insult to the injury, someone had stolen his body. That's what she thought. It said that John had believed, but he still didn't understand. But Mary was just wondering, where is he? In fact, that's her response. When he says, who are you looking for? She says, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have put him, that, and I will come and get him. In other words, she's thinking, you've taken his body, or maybe you know, you're the gardener here, you've, you've been around, have you seen any guy suspicious carrying somebody? If you tell me where they've put him, I'll go and get him. You see where her mind is. It isn't, you're alive, hallelujah. It is, I want to find him, and I want to bring him back to this tomb. I, I don't want his body being disgraced. And we see that she is in a place of serious doubt. She's in a place of hurt and mourning. And if you've ever been in a funeral situation when the family is gathered together and the body is there and you know the solemn feelings that take place inside because you've lost someone you love and you might celebrate the time together as a family, but there is this solemn moment of just, they're not with us anymore. And Mary is in that place. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic. 
Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. And literally it means stop clinging to me. You could just picture her. She just went and grabbed him. And, and I love this because all he did was say her name. The name that she had heard him say so many years, that name that she had heard him say when she was brought out of that dark place in her that life, that name that she had heard him talk to her in that endearing term, and he met her there with something that she understood. It was that endearing term when he just mentioned her name. And I believe that this morning, the living Christ wants to say your name and wants to reveal himself as he did to Mary, to you and to me. He wants to meet us where we're at. And as she clinged to him, Jesus said, stop holding on to me, for I have not yet returned to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And this is amazing because now the risen Lord, the, the, the conqueror of death, talks to her and he says, I want you to go to, he doesn't say my disciples. He doesn't say, I want you to go to those servants of mine. He says, I want you to go to my brothers. And I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Jesus is now identifying himself with us, but as a conqueror. And he's bringing us into this family. And he's saying that you are now my brothers, you are now my sisters, you are now my family. The one who has risen from the dead and conquered death itself has invited us to be a part of his family. And he's going to his father, who is now our father, to his God, who is our God. And we see that this change of events, this momentum, this pendulum that is now swinging has brought us into this new dynamic and this new relationship where now we can have this intense relationship with the living God. Not fearing death because of what Jesus has done. It says that Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, now, this is one account, and, and I love, there's another account that takes place in Luke chapter 24, and I love the similarities, because here we have a couple of disciples, and they're going on this road towards a city called Emmaus, and in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24, it says, now that same day, and it is indeed the same day as what we've just read in John. He says, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Here he is incognito again. Here he is doing it again. And I just think this is so trippy. Why does he do this? And it says that they were kept from recognizing him. We don't know exactly what was taking place. I mean, we, we know that you can hypnotize someone and they can not recognize you or not see things right. And we don't know what kind of spiritual veil was taking place. You know, they probably weren't anticipating seeing him. We know that. And so there's this veil that they were holding and not able to see them. And it says that he walked with them. And, and I know sometimes what we want is Jesus to just appear. 
Jesus, I just want you to show up. I want you to make yourself known. I want the, I want the spectacular. I want the bright light. I want the warm fuzzies. I, I want you to show up and make yourself known. And we find out that, no, he just kind of nonchalantly is walking with us. And you see, the amazing thing about the risen Jesus is that he is able to walk with us still, that he is able to show up with us still, and he's able to journey with us still. This is the comfort that we have, that he is alive and he shows up still, not in the bodily form that he did back then, but through his spirit. And and C.S. Lewis and his testimonies, he's talking about his conversion when he's asked, what happened? How did you become a follower of Jesus? He said, I got into the sidecar of my brother's motorcycle. Remember those sidecars with the motorcycle? They were hep back then, I guess. And he got in the sidecar And as he was driving, he says, as I got in the car, I started out an atheist. And when we got to our destination, I believed in Jesus. I don't think it was because of his brother's driving. I think it was because Jesus came and walked with him or drove with him. And in that journey, the living Christ made another appearance and came to him. And met him where he was at. And just as he showed up to Mary incognito, he shows up to these two disciples. And we get a little glimpse into what's going on. And he asks them, and I love, he always asks questions. He asks them, what are you discussing together as you're walking along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these days? I wonder if he thought about that later. You know, what did I say? You know, that was Jesus. Don't you know what's going on? You know, and then Jesus like, what things? I love that. What things? What, What are you talking about? And you see, he engaged them and he asked questions. God's not afraid of your questions. His shoulders are big enough to carry the things that you are concerned about. The questions that you have, you can ask. In fact, he asks you about those things. God isn't afraid of your questions. In fact, that's where he met them, was in the questions. What are you talking about? These things about Jesus. And he says, what things? Tell me about these things. And you see, God wants to meet us in those questions. He he wants us to think through these things. He he wants us to be human. He has created us in this way. A lot of times religion has this idea of don't ask questions, just smile and go along with the program. But that is not faith in Christ. Faith in Christ has a lot of questions. And God's not afraid of them. He's not afraid of any of them. And his shoulders are big enough for you to place them on him and ask him these questions. It's part of being human. And so he asks them, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Listen to the tense in verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
And what is more, it is the thir third day since all this took place. We had hoped. We had hoped, but our hopes were dashed. Our hopes were dashed when we saw him there on the cross, bloodied and crucified. We had hoped, but our hopes came crashing down when we saw him die. We, we had hoped, but all those hopes are lost because, well, he's dead. But it's this third day, and, you know, he talked about something on the third day, and, and these ladies came, and they talked about it. And it's interesting because in other accounts, we see that the disciples didn't believe the ladies, which is pretty telling. Here are the disciples of Jesus, and they didn't believe them. Imagine Mary going up, he's alive. They're like, uh-huh. Women, so emotional. You haven't slept in a while, have you, Mary? You know, go get some rest. No, he's alive. I, okay, we'll go check it out later. You know, just get some rest. You know, get her some tea, some chamomile, you know. Help her to settle down. They didn't believe. And these two disciples are walking, and they're just like, these ladies came, and they talked about this, and it's the third day, but... We're not really sure what's going on. We'd hoped he was the one that would redeem Israel. In verse 22, it says, In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that he had seen visions of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So just the ladies. You know, they're the only ones who saw him. And he, Jesus, said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The greatest Bible study probably ever, and it's not recorded. These two are the only ones who heard it, and I wondered what that dialogue was. Are you sure about that? I never thought about it like that. Or, or, you know, did John later go say, what did he say? What did he say? I don't remember, but it was really good. You know, we don't know what happened, but it's like, dude, this would have been excellent to have, but we, we, we don't. And so we will go on and just wonder, gosh, you guys, why couldn't you have written it down? But verse 28, it says, as they approached the village, to which they were going, I love this, Jesus acted as if he were going to go further. He acted. I wonder if he's a good actor. Well, ta-ta, see you later, you know. I must be going, you know. I mean, he acted as if I'm just going to keep going. And he gave opportunity for them to invite him into that conversation more. And in verse 29, they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And so now we see that Jesus shows up to them in a way that they would recognize as he starts breaking bread, just as he had done those times before, not too long ago in the upper room. He broke bread, 
blessed it and gave it to them, and they said, oh, my goodness. And then he disappears. That must have been a trip. You know, plate rattling, you know, and bread drops, boom. You know, you just wonder what that was like. All of a sudden, he's gone. And they're like, didn't our hearts burn with us when he spoke? And then it says that they went back that evening, seven miles back to Jerusalem, because when you experience something like this, you don't just, huh, that was interesting. Good night. See you later, Cleopas. See you in the morning. Okay, yeah, that was a trip, huh? Yeah. No, they got up and they took off. And you see, this is the dynamic. And this is one of the things that we need to understand because we read stories like this and it's like, oh, that's just, that's crazy because it is just preposterous in our experience. But you see, the Christian experience is based on the work and person of Jesus and what he did and what took place after in the lives of those people who he touched and reached. And we see such a dynamic change in these people from people who were hiding and afraid to people who were willing to be martyred. Why? What was the change? He is alive. That is the change. We saw him. And you see, to squash Christianity, to just end it, all the Romans had to do was produce the body. All they had to do was bring out a body and it would have ended everything because this faith that we have is hinged on the fact that this man who was dead was able to conquer death itself, that this is not just an ordinary man. And, you know, so many times people get upset because I think we as followers of Christ have misrepresented ourselves in so many ways. You know, we, we have this kind of antagonism sometimes towards other people and their, their beliefs. You know, I'm not antagonistic. I, I think there's a lot of great beliefs and religions out there that have a lot of great things to say, a lot of good foundational things, practical things that are helpful. I don't have a problem with that. But then they say, well, you say you're, Jesus is the only way. Well, this is what I believe. That every other belief system, whether it's theocratic believing in God or whether it's just a belief system like Buddhism that's non-theocratic, every other one is asking us to meet the requirements to move forward into enlightenment or exception into heaven or by God, whatever God that is. Every other belief says you need to be good enough. You need to do well enough. You need to get better and better so that you can be accepted by God. The sun. Woo! stay up for a little while every other one requires us to do what we can and i don't know about you but there's a burden that i feel and i sense when that comes upon me because i know me when we were remodeling our house we got new cabinets for the kitchen and to save money, we were installing them ourselves. And so we got these cabinets, and we put them in, 
and we got the bottom ones all leveled and put in, and then you had to get the top ones, and the top ones are tough, you know, because you got to anchor them to the wall, and you got to put them on, and you have to put them together, and it took the whole day to put these cabinets up, and we put them all up, and there they were, and stood back, and man, they looked good. And, and then my wife came, Corrine came, and she's like, that looks a little low. I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And she goes, well, the microwave and the stove, that seems really close. I'm like, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. It looks okay to me. And she brought out this pot that she has that she'll cook menudo in, you know, every now and then. And it's the menudo pot, and it's a big pot, and she put it on the stove, and it was like this close to the microwave. And she said, well, can you raise it up like two inches? I was like, sure, and I can raise the Titanic, you know? It was like, my heart sank. It was like 10 o'clock, and it was like, uh, and I knew she was right. It was obvious. It was there. And so the next day, we had to take them all down just to move them up two inches. And you see, that's the story of my life. I mean, that's the story of my life with the kitchen cabinets. That's the story of my life in raising my kids. That's the story of my life in my marriage. That's the story of my life in my work. My, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have just messed up. I've missed the mark by two inches. I've just blown it. I haven't quite done as I should. And I can look back, and you guys can too. So, so don't... Don't get on your high horses. I know you're the same way. You can look back and say, man, I am not what I should be. I have not fulfilled the things that I know I should be. And now think about this. Your soul is dependent on you and what you can do to get better. And this burden weighs on us because we know what we should be, but we are not what we should be. And here is my sentiment on this. Every other belief system tells you that you need to be better. You need to up it. You need to make yourself someone who you're not. And there is no other God who has come for you. Every other God tells you you need to get here to get to me. Jesus is the only God who has come for you. He is the only God who has come for us. And that is so comforting because who is going to deal with the inadequacies that we have if we cannot deal with them i need someone greater than myself to be able to deal with them and in steps jesus says i will deal with them i will take the penalty of your inadequacies and not only will i take that but i will conquer it and i will conquer death itself to prove to you that I accomplished it. I will give you hope in what I have done for you. In fact, I now call you my brothers, my sisters. I am accepting you so that you can understand that as I am victorious, that victory now is passed on to you. So that we can enjoy this dynamic relationship with the living God without fear of inadequacy, without fear of judgment, without fear of guilt and shame, because the one who dealt with those things, the one who came for us and dealt with those things, 
prove that he dealt with it enough by rising again from the dead. And the hope that we have now is a living hope. It's not a hope in some religious system. It's not a hope in if you go to church and you, you read your Bible and you pray, those are all great things. But the hope is that he is alive and he still speaks to us. He, he still engages us. He still ministers, reveals himself to us. And you see, history is filled with the testimonies just like Mary, just like the two on the road to Emmaus, where we have been journeying and all of a sudden Jesus came and I wasn't even aware he was there. All of a sudden he, he showed up. I remember my brother telling me one time when I had come to faith, my mom had come to faith, and we were sharing with him just how Jesus is real. And he, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That sounds great for you guys, you know, the typical thing. And then he was at home one day and he was just thinking, okay, Jesus, if, if you're real, I just, he had a hundred bucks and he'd lost it. And he'd scoured his house. This was a long time ago. A hundred bucks was worth like a whole hundred bucks, you know, back then. And he'd scoured the house looking for it. And he had like a one-room place, okay? This is not like he had a five-bedroom, you know, 2,000 square foot. He had, you know, 300 square foot place. And he had scoured the thing, could not find this $100 bill. And he stopped and he said, okay, Jesus, if you're real, then help me find this $100 bill. And he opened his eyes and there on the table is a $100 bill. And he's like, wow. And he picked it up and he went and bought drugs with it. <laughs> That's what he did. He ends up coming to, coming to faith, but you know, he's like, wow, okay. And, and Jesus, you're all going, what did that have to do with anything? We were expecting something great after that. And he went and bought drugs. Okay, so God, give me a hundred bucks. You know, no, don't do that. Um, the point is, Jesus showed up in that journey, and that was a pivotal moment. Even though he went and bought drugs with that money, it was a pivotal moment when Jesus came and made himself known to him. I, I can remember times when I was in bed and I was just in thought and I can remember Jesus speaking into my life and that journey and just telling me, I love you. And I remember it just bringing me to tears because the reality that he was alive and he cared about me meant so much. It meant so much. It was the hug from God I needed. And I hope this morning that you understand that he is alive and journeying with you still. And I know that Easter has become this thing. You ladies go out and you buy clothes. I see all the pastel colors. And your babies look beautiful. And they're Easter dresses. And that's, those are just such neat things. And we're going to go eat some good food. And that's always a good thing. Michael, can I get an Amen. Those are great things, but here is the greatest thing. That the God of the universe is journeying with you. That he hears you when you cry. That he asks, why are you crying? That he wants to know. That he wants to know, what are you looking for? I'm looking for this 
this peace in my life, God. I'm looking for this understanding, this hope. I have no hope. And he shows up and he says, I can give you hope. What are you afraid of? I have conquered death. I can give you hope. And I am going to restore things. Put your hope in me. And so the questions you have, the hurts that you have, the wonderings that you have, Jesus is journeying with you and he is probing and asking you, what's going on? What are you looking for? What things are you trying to find in your life? And if you will recognize, and if your eyes will be opened as theirs were, you will realize he's been journeying with you all along. And he wants you to see him, recognize him for who he is, that he is the Lord who has come for you. Let's pray. God, this, this is too good to be true. It, it just seems beyond what we could hope for and expect. And yet for thousands of years now, you have been showing up and changing lives, that you've been taking the Marys who have been involved with addictions and brokenness and have brought healing. You, you have taken the Thomases that have doubted and, and couldn't believe and have made us believers. You, you have taken those who are on the road to Emmaus and had questions and didn't understand and, and gave them understanding. You've been doing that and you are doing it still and you desire to do it this morning, God. There are some here who have questions and want to know, are you real? Are you really alive? Can you really help me in my situation? Do you understand? Can you give me peace? Can you give me hope? Can you walk with me? And Lord, maybe even just through this time of, of speaking and looking at these scriptures, you've done just that. There has been a sense of your presence, a, a reality of who you are made known in the hearts and the minds here. This understanding that this Jesus, he's real. He really did die. And I don't understand how, but it would seem he's made alive. And Father, for those who are in this place where you have opened their hearts and their eyes, I pray that you would allow them to continue this conversation with you and that you would even further reveal yourself to them. That as they ask, you would answer. As they seek, they would find you. And as they knock, Lord, you would open that door so that they could continue relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would give us, that we would move from here as people who have this hope that we would recognize that what you set in motion all those years ago is gaining momentum, is continuing to this day, and we get to be a part of it. You have called us your brothers, your sisters. 
You've made us your family. I want to say a prayer. I, I believe that there are some of you here that maybe are in a place where Mary was, where these two disciples were, where you have the hurts, you have the hopelessness, you have the doubts, the questions. And God has revealed himself to you. And you want to acknowledge him just as Mary saw him. He's called your name out. And you want to respond. I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond and, and just pray for you. And, and if that is you, if that describes you, I want you to repeat this prayer that I'm going to pray for you. It's an acknowledgement that God is real and he's spoken to you. And just pray this in your heart. Father, I hear your voice. Father, I believe your words. And I want to walk with you. Forgive me for my sin, for my doubts. Do for me what I am unable to do for myself. Make me your brother, your sister. Bring me into your family. I believe in you, Jesus. And I will follow you. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. I pray that the Lord has made himself known to you guys this morning. That he has touched your hearts and this is the beginning of a journey that you can continue with the Lord.